if you make a million dollars in a piece of real estate with us and we do a 1031 tax deferral successfully, then you uh, do not have to pay $300,000 to the government. You defer that tax and then you can buy $300,000 more of real estate. Now we are gonna leverage that cash. We're gonna put that down. We're gonna get a 75% mortgage. So a million bucks makes, allows me to buy 4 million bucks in real estate where $700,000, if I had to pay taxes on that million bucks, allows me to buy about 2.8 million or so in real estate. So that's a big difference. That's a $1.2 million more worth of real estate. That's incredible. So. Hi, you're listening to Ready to Scale, the second season of That Really Happened. This season is focused on APS of real estate, asset, process, and strategy. Each guest on the show will reveal the assets they invest in and why they chose to do so. From multifamily to industrial, self-storage, mobile home parks, and more. Then, they'll uncover the processes, tools, and systems they've used to build multi-million dollar businesses. And finally, they'll uncover new, unique, and exciting strategies to invest in real estate. From co-working to buy and hold, fix and flips, co-living, and much, much more. Now let's get the show started. Hey guys, welcome to Ready to Scale. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host, broadcasting from sunny California. When I'm not behind the mic, I buy multifamily properties with passive investors who partner with me on my deals. So Ready to Scale is actually our new second season here, where we focus on the business side of real estate. So we have three key concepts that I like to call APS of real estate. So we're going to talk about asset, process, and strategy. So by listening in, you will learn valuable business principles to help your real estate business, whatever it may be, thrive and diversify. If you enjoy the podcast, please take a minute to rate us and don't forget to like and follow along with me on social media as well. Today on the show, I have Aaron Fregnito. So Aaron, he lives in New Jersey, pretty far away from the West Coast where I am. He's the co-founder of People's Capital Group, PCG, and he's the host of the New Jersey Real Estate Network, which is really interesting. Um, he's a licensed New Jersey realtor and a full-time real estate investor. So Aaron's portfolio is very impressive. He completed over 250 real estate transactions, totaling more than 35 million in real estate, which is very impressive. So on top of everything that, that Aaron has been doing in his spare time, he's an avid fan of motocross, which I'm really excited. I, I want to hear about that actually, because I like bikes as well. So I think the first and last time I've, I've ridden one was when I was 16, part of my, uh, you know, rebellious period, but that's about it. So to welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So we like to welcome Aaron to the show. Hey, Aaron, how are you today? Hey, Ellie, doing great. Thanks for having me on this afternoon. Absolutely. When I have to start asking, I know it's got nothing to do with real estate, but are you still riding motocrosses? Are you still on, on the road? I don't race competitively, of course. I'm too busy running my business <laughs> to do that. But <laughs> I used to when I was younger. You know, I would I did uh, race a little bit. I was never all that good. I, I got hurt more than anything. But I still ride today. I own a dirt bike and a quad. I'm going riding tomorrow with my buddies, and we haven't even make a day out of it. It's a lovely thing and a lot of fun. And I don't hurt myself anymore. I don't really ride competitively. So I uh, just have a lot of fun. Yeah. 
Exciting. Yeah, weekends are always good to, you know, to ride. I'm part of a riding club myself, so I get in the car Saturday or usually or Sunday morning, 6, 7 a.m. where the roads, you know, are empty. And then we we hit the road and we drive. It's it's a lot of fun. For some reason, I'm the only woman there. I, I don't know why. Driving is it's, it, the adrenaline. It's just insane. I'm not riding bikes, only sports cars, but... That, that's my passion. So I can totally relate. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I used to have a street bike, but I got too many points on my license. So I had to sell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you've been doing real estate for a while now, and there's a lot of interesting topics that I want to cover. So we, we're probably going to dive right in. Let's start with the assets part of the show. You specialize in multifamily properties in New Jersey. Can you tell me a little bit more about that market and especially the multifamily market in New Jersey? I, I don't know much about it. I think many people are in the same boat. They don't know much about it. So we'd love to hear a little bit about that. Well, it's it's probably one of the most competitive markets, I'd say, in the U.S. It's really hard to find a deal. You pay a lot for real estate here, but the rents are higher as well. But there's so much competition here in the North Jersey market. Uh, we play off the Manhattan market. So we kind of ride off the strength of Manhattan and the boroughs of Manhattan, which, of course, is a great city to uh, be fueling your real estate market. So it's very, very hard to find a deal. Um, there's a lot of wealth in this area. There's a lot of capital. So people love the idea that we buy locally. If you go around to the other RIAs and other syndication companies, they tend to be raising capital here, but placing it out in the Midwest or in Texas or in Florida. And we have somehow managed to do a syndication business primarily here in New Jersey. So we don't buy more than an hour from our office here in North Jersey. And we by near train stations that get you into Manhattan in 45 minutes. And in our opinion, Manhattan's never, never going to go anywhere. If it does, we got bigger things to worry about. So that's what we focus on. Interesting. And how long have you been doing that? Well, we've been doing New Jersey uh, real estate forever. That's, you know, so 10 years since we, our whole real estate uh, career has been uh, here in, uh, in, in Jersey. So we stick to what we know here. I started as a realtor. You know, that's how I met Seth. He would make a bunch of lowball off and no other realtor to take his business. And I enjoyed it. You know, I wasn't afraid to uh, piss off some realtors. So uh, it was fun. You know, I learned how to buy real estate and Seth and I teamed up together. We bought a six family. I saved up a little money from commissions and we got up to a hundred units over about uh, four or five years and, uh, you know, raised some capital, developed a management company and ended up having to actually fire two other management companies. One was stealing from me. I had to take them to court and I won. Wow. And uh, so that was a thing. And by necessity, we developed our management company, which is probably our greatest asset. Yeah. And I really want to you know, talk about that later on. This is, I think, a very, very interesting point about how building your own property management team, because it's one of the biggest line items on your expenses. So there's a lot of control that, that you give away. So I think that's an interesting point. I find it very interesting that you, you started as a realtor and then transitioned to an investor because they see a lot of realtors and brokers. They're so close to the deal. And sometimes I don't get it. You're the first person in the scene to see the deals and and know about them. Why won't you want to be part of the acquisitions? It's, you know, some deals are great, not all of them, but I, I wonder how you made that transition, that mindset from selling deals to others to buying the deals yourselves. Yeah, this morning I actually just did a two-hour seminar to a group of realtors in our office here, uh, part of our area, and it was about converting your realtor business into being an investor. That's exactly what I did. I uh, was working with investors and I was doing a ton of short sales. I was 
2010, 2011, 2012, there was really no other way to make money in real estate than as a, as a realtor, unless you were doing distressed sales and, you know, working with investors. It was so hard to sell real estate otherwise, especially as a brand new agent. So uh, I had to learn short sales. I had to learn REOs. I saw what these guys were doing. I had no money, but I started making a little money from commissions and, uh, you know, you would double in the deals a lot. You, I would be a disclosed dual agent and make 6% or 5%. That was great because I had the investors and the investors would give me the listings because I had the buyers and the sellers want to work with guys with the buyers. So I learned from their mistakes and I, I said, hey guys, you know, you see what I'm doing. I'm the deal guy. I'm capable of, um, you know, invest in me. Uh, we're going we're gonna to hire a management company. We'll buy some real estate together. And I teamed up with a bunch of different people and some good, some bad. I, I learned that you don't want to team up with everyone and it, just because their money's green. Um, mm-hmm. And I got in some tough spots there and kind of signed some documents that, you know, I, I probably should have had an attorney present and things like that. So I, I made all those mistakes teaming up with the wrong people. But for the most part, I teamed up with a lot of the right people and primarily Seth Martinez, who's now my business partner and has been for years as we built People's Capital Group together. For those, you know, part of the listeners, those who are not familiar with the terms REO and short sales, can you explain a little bit about what those strategies mean? Yeah, so REO means a bank-owned property. A short sale means the bank has taken title back from the property. Before that happens, you uh, first have to go into foreclosure. I mean, that, you know, a lot of times, especially back in 2010, 11, and 12, when the prices were down on real estate, people would owe more money to the bank than their house would be worth. So therefore, um, that'd be a short sale. They'd be behind on mortgage payments, which was pretty common. And that was a great market to be in, the short sale market. I still do short sales today. They're quite less prevalent. But yeah, so that was when uh, you would then negotiate with a bank. We'd have a a company who would negotiate with the bank, uh, lien holders, and get a discounted agreement on the uh, lien uh, amount. And then um, we would sell to a a buyer, an investor, or, or someone in the market. If that doesn't happen successfully or if the seller won't cooperate, the property goes to foreclosure and therefore there's a sheriff sale auction. And that's a great place to buy real estate as a wholesaler and investor, which we'll get into in a little bit maybe. And uh, that's the next step. And then if it doesn't get auctioned off at the sheriff sale auction, no one bids on it. It goes back to the lien holder. You know, if the lien holder has too high a reserve for the bid, it'll go back to the lien holder. And then it's an REO, it's a bank owned property and, and the banks will hire agents to sell that real estate. Um, I focused on the short sale part. I was really a short sale specialist uh, and I created a, a nice little niche there and, and did about you know 60 or 70 short sales over a period of a, a few years and jumped in head first. Um, and I've learned how to delegate all the negotiation of the, of the liens and I would just bring in the owners, the real estate owners and get the listings. So what do you like about the strategy and what parts of the strategy you don't really like? The strategy of, uh, of what, uh, short sales or just... Mm-hmm. Uh, of short sales, yeah. Of short sales. Well, they're not short. <laughs> they're long sales. They take forever. These days, it's harder and harder to get a good one at a good price. The bank does their BPO, a broker's price opinion, which is a broker going to a property for three minutes and taking 15 pictures and deciding what it's worth. and Or they do an appraisal, which is a more in-depth analysis, of course. So it's hard, though. The, the banks have you know high appraisal values now on these properties, and uh, they don't allow us to get them for the prices. We used to be able to get them back in 2014 or 2015, and there was a much more larger array of comps back then. Now the market's strong, the values are strong. So 
you know, it takes a long time to figure out what the bank wants and a lot of seller cooperation. And then, you know, now they're denying our offers more than ever because we try to get properties at good prices. And so uh, it ends up getting harder and harder to find a deal, which is our <laughs> the common complaint with everything else in the market right now. You know, we get outbid everywhere else as well. So, yeah, but, it, you know, at least the banks are faster now. So we do get answers much more quickly because there's less of a backlog. There was a time where it would take six months to get an answer, but you could steal some real estate. And that was a okay. good scenario. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. And, you know, part of your business as well is using a 1031 exchange. Um, If you can talk a little bit about that, maybe explain to our listeners, those who are less familiar with that, what is that 1031 exchange and why you chose to basically use this as as a strategy, as part of your strategy when you were transacting, um, transacting recently in real estate? So I got into real estate because of the tax benefits. I read Rich Dad Poor Dad and I recognized it was the best asset class with the best tax benefits. And I like the tangibility of it, I have a passion for it. And we, the 1031 tax deference is the tax tool to utilize in real estate. If you're not you know, at least learning about that and trying to keep that as an, as an option down the road, you have to be, you know, you have to be looking at the 1031 tax deference, which is when you sell a building and you identify another building of, of similar type that you're going to take the all, all the proceeds and all the, all the cash from the sale of the building and you're going to put it uh, to a third party that holds on to it for a brief period of time while you identify the building and close on it, which has to be done certain periods of time as well. And then you can use that cash from the sale of the building to buy the next building and there's no taxes owed. The taxes are deferred for that income earn. So if you make a million dollars in at capital gains on a piece of real estate, which by the way in, in North Jersey here can easily be done over a period of time because the equity growth is phenomenal, especially since we force equity into the building and reposition it, force value into it. The ten thirty one deference is is extraordinary. If you make a million dollars in profit in a stock, uh, you owe about three hundred thousand dollars to the government. Let's say you know, depending on the tax bracket, da da da. But if you make a million dollars in a piece of real estate with us and we do a 1031 tax deferment successfully, then you uh, do not have to pay $300,000 to the government. You defer that tax and then you can buy $300,000 more of real estate. Now we are going to leverage that cash. We're going to put that down. We're going to get a 75% mortgage. So a million bucks makes allows me to buy 4 million bucks in real estate where $700,000, if I had to pay taxes on that million bucks, allows me to buy about 2.8 million or so in real estate. So that's a big difference. That's a $1.2 million more worth of real estate. That's incredible. So just the 1031 tax, if you didn't follow me there, you know, that's okay. We're going to have a seminar on it here. So come join us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit complicated, but I think it's a really beautiful tool where you can actually defer taxes in basically forever. And you just reinvested over and over and over. So I'm, I imagine that you have investors that have been investing with you and they're just recycling. You basically recycle the same money, put it in a deal, get your distributions, sell the deal, and then put that money again. Um, and I know that there's a timeline where you have you have a window of opportunity. So you can just you know sit on, sit quote unquote on the money and, and wait for the right opportunity to to present itself and then invest it. So how do you feel about that timeline? How, what measures do you take to pretty much make sure that you're in line with what the regulations is, you know, 
limiting you in terms of that window of opportunity? Sure. Well, you want to work with a good 1031 tax deference company that's going to guide you in the process and how many days you have to move the, the money and how to, to pick the type of property. And the truth is the the process starts a year in advance. You know, you're going to be like, okay, we're going to sell this building. First, we've got to pick out kind of what we're looking for. And generally, um, you're juggling a number of pieces there. You have to close a real estate transaction and identify a building. I believe it's within a 90 days uh, you have to identify the, the building you're going to uh, be buying, and then you have 180 days to close on it. You know, we work with the 1031 tax firms company. And listen, I'm going to be, uh, right now, where I personally am still in the midst of doing my, my first 1031. I've just been learning about it and exercising the strategy of, of building this real estate portfolio. Uh, most of the buildings we've bought and sold, we've actually done more in the residential space, and we've been moving around investments to different pieces with different investors. So we haven't really, it hasn't been the best option for us for some of the residential sales we've done in flipping. Mm. So as we build our commercial portfolio, in the past, we used to sell the commercial buildings and we would, some of the investors would, you know, not want to do the 1031 or whatnot. Now we've essentially rebranded our business where we're focusing more just on these scenarios where we are going to eventually do the 1031. And the process, you know, is working with the right 1031 company that's going to guide you through the deal and make sure you do everything properly, but you have to line up your pieces beforehand. You have to know what building you know you want, talking to your brokers, your, your boots on the ground, be analyzing buildings, because here, if you think you're gonna find a deal in 90 days, it really doesn't work like that. You, know, you, you really have to line up your, your pieces a little better than that. So um, yeah, it's, it has to be executed properly, and you don't want the other party to know you have to place your 1031 cash either. Like That's key. Yeah. <laughs> right. When you're shopping for the building, you just be like, you know, don't worry, we're going to fund it, you know, but then again, you do have to disclose certain times in the transaction, you know, where the cash is coming from and things like that. So talk to your attorney on what you can, don't have to disclose and depending on your position in the deal, you know, but you don't want to really disclose off the bat until you really have to, that the cash is coming from a 1031 because you then, you know, they have to close in 180 days. So, you know, you, there's a whole whole thing to it, you know, so the deal's got to work. Absolutely. You started talking about the process, and I think it's a good segue to kind of shift to our third part of APS of real estate and talk about the process. So earlier you mentioned that part of the process of how you manage your properties is by having an in-house property management company that manages all your properties. And I, I think it's fascinating. We, it's besides probably property taxes, this is the second or third highest line item on your expenses, on your profit and loss, you do your T12. What made you transition from outsourcing property management to to actually building an in-house team? Well, I went through two management companies. One just, you know, promised me the world and would collect the rent and call plumber when the pipe leaked and that was about it. And they had no interest in repositioning the real estate, which needed to be repositioned. So I fired them and I hired another company that promised the world. And he said, give me the security deposits, please. You know, and I just had a, I don't know, I had a feeling in my stomach, like let's hit the brakes on giving this guy all the money. And normally your, your management company does take the security deposits. and. Quickly thereafter, he ended up running off with uh, whatever money he could, and he would try to lease out the units, collect rent from uh, tenants that day, and sign a fake lease. And 
wow. and, and give them the keys and they would leave, he'd lease out the same unit to five or six people and take the money and run. He did that to a bunch of properties. You know, we had to take them to court and we won and we were uh, reimbursed the money we lost through actually a, not, a, a fund in New Jersey that pays out to people that were harmed by real estate uh, transactions. So that forced us to kind of develop our own management company. We said, are we going to move this building to a third management company in one year, which is confusing for the tenants? You know, what happens if the third management company we hire is bad too? So we uh, developed our own. We transitioned our um, best uh, employee actually at the time who was kind of doing management of our of our flips and our, you know, overall transactions and whatnot. And we transitioned that employee and, and bought the right technology, invested in some resources uh, like Appfolio and whatnot to help us organize our, our management systems. And over time developed a, a good management company for some growing pains. You know, it's, it's not a profitable piece of our business. Um, it's a loss leader. Mm -hmm. So between the bookkeeping and the accounting fees and the salary uh, for our all-star property manager, it, you know, there's um, about $120,000 cost to that every year. And we might eat 60 of that or so at times, you know, depending on how many properties we have. So our management company, you know, is not profitable, but it's a loss leader. It gives us the strength to reposition these uh, buildings uh, much faster than any management company we know. I mean, we, we just couldn't find a building. We're like, we need you to do cash for keys, find ways to make more money in the basement, and then, you know, da da da. You charge for parking, negotiate all these things to the tenants, find out what they want so they will pay more rent, find out how we can make, uh, get our costs down, everything else, energy efficient appliances, best costs from contractors, best costs on materials. Management companies don't care that much about your money. They're, they're going to be like, oh, here's a contractor. Oh, here's the thing, you know, oh, here's a rent check. Great. We got the rent. Oh, they're late. We'll send them a letter. So, you know, we just, we made an all-star management system here and uh, that's our secret weapon, I think. Awesome. Yeah. It definitely separates you from others because most investors don't have, don't have an in-house property management company. It takes, as you mentioned, it's, it, it costs a lot of money and it takes a lot of time to build that, that team. So that's very impressive. Do you think that, that at some point it would be a revenue source for you guys? Yes, that, that is the goal. We do want to make money with our management company. We don't uh, manage anyone else's real estate. We only mm -hmm. manage our own real estate. So we've kind of consciously decided to not make money with the management company right now. And that's okay because we were profitable with our wholesaling and profitable in our cash flow and uh, flips as well in residential section. And our, our passion is in commercial real estate and building our holdings. So, you know, we're in build mode right now. We're buying more and more real estate as we come across and raise our, our capital networks. So right now, a loss leader like management company, uh, you know, will we'll be a loss for about three more years. And we recognize probably in about three years or so, I think it should hopefully mm -hmm. become. So, but the problem with management is as we get more buildings, I'm going to need to hire more people, you know, and it's like, uh, you kind of project out of the management company and it's, it's never going to make me rich. It's not where we're going to make our money. Um, the other thing is we charge a discount management fee. So if, if mm -hmm. the average management company is charging eight, we're at five or six. So we really just, you know, we, we cut our fee to make more money for our investors and make sure we're not double dipping. But, you know, we do have to charge something because there's a, there's a solid cost to it. But, you know, it's just like, you know, the combination of charging a lesser fee and uh, trying to do the best we can and always putting resources into it 
isn't a great way to make a net profit. So that's okay to us. Though. All right. Awesome. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for being on the show today, for sharing, you know, your knowledge and your expertise with me and the listeners. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Our website is peoplescapitalgroup.com. And that's uh, got a lot of information about our company and you can put your information there. And we'll reach out to you. So it's peoplescapitalgroup.com. And uh, you can also find us on Meetup. Our Meetup group is New Jersey Real Estate Network. We have events here multiple times a month. We have webinars multiple times a month. So whether you're in state or out of state, you can uh, get uh, some education from us for free and jump on one of those webinars or come to an event. But yeah, we're always going to team up with passive investors and we're always looking for a good investment opportunity. So let us know. All right. Perfect. Thank you, Aaron. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Ellie. Have a good day. Enjoy that weather there. (laughs) Thanks. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.